This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Of information, ask your herb doctor. Is brought to you with support from KMUD, coming in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water soluble. Information is available at Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. And support for KMUD comes in part from listeners like you and from Earth Gallery and Custom Framing, offering conservation picture framing for art, photography, and just about anything that can be framed. Their workshop can handle production runs to one-off custom frames. They sell handmade wool rugs and house several artist studios and will be featuring Jesse Allen Printed Works in the main gallery this summer. Earth Gallery is on Facebook and located at 436 Maple Lane in Garberville. They can be reached at 923-1121. And oh, one more thing to read. As usual, the views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the station, its staff, or underwriters. Time will be made available for other viewpoints. Thank you for joining us. And it's time for Ask Your Herb Doctor. Thank you for that. Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. For those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a master's degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and we manufacture all our own certified organic herbal extracts which are either grown on our CCUF certified herb farm or which we source from other USA-certified organic suppliers. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD, Garberville, 91.1 FM, and as usual, from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's subject, amongst other things of hot flashes, night sweats, and the relationship to uh, stress, aging, PMS, and sugar metabolism. 
Um, if you live uh, the, if you live in the area here, the number is nine two three three nine one one. Or if you live outside the area, there's whole free numbers one eight hundred KMUD RAD. We can also be reached toll free on one eight 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 WBM Herb for further questions during normal business hours Monday through Friday. So as is becoming very very popular, <laughs> and uh, we're very pleased uh, also for it to be the way it is. Uh, we're joined by Dr. Raymond Pete, and um, he does have a, uh, a, a new topic of research that he's been working on here for the last month or so. So um, we're going to be very lucky to have his take on what is many by, by many people held a very common misconception uh, about the uh, transmitters, except neurotransmitters, etc. That um, he'll be talking about in a moment. So once again, we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete on the show. Good night. Oh, good night. <laughs> Excuse me. Good evening. Hi. <laughs> okay. Um, as usual. Perhaps there are people who have just tuned in tonight who have never heard you before. Um, it's always possible, and I want to make sure that people that are listening get the opportunity to hear of your technical background and your expertise. So if you wouldn't mind. Um, between 1968 and 72, I studied biology at the University of Oregon, specializing in uh, physiology, especially reproductive aging and um, related biochemistry. Okay, so that's your main background is physiology and reproductive uh, physiology. Okay, so I know that the um, topic that you've been working on recently, and I know from one of your most recent uh, newsletters on serotonin, um, that is also tied in with it. The, the subject that I was going to ask you about this evening, uh, especially for those uh, female listeners who would be very interested to hear uh, what you have to say about it is the subject of um, hot flashes uh, in menopause um, and also related uh, night sweats that are not related to menopause but the system of um, body temperature control and the set point that you mentioned um, of body temperature and how that can be uh, aberrantly set and uh, sweating can be a, a, a subsequent um, result of that so perhaps would you would you start by describing a little bit this set point it's not something that I've ever really heard about before for body temperature and and how that relates to sweating and how um, you know we'll later on bring out how the uh, hormone side of it is um, largely treatable um, in um, mammals um, the temperature is is regulated by uh, hormones and nerves, uh, partly by uh, causing vasoconstriction or vasodilation in the skin and sweating. Um, when you want to lower your temperature, you sweat and uh, turn pink so that your skin radiates, gets blood to the surface where it can, by convection mm -hmm. and conduction and uh, radiation, uh, release heat into the environment. Uh, Cold-blooded animals like lizards, uh, when they need to uh, increase their temperature, uh, move into the sun or uh, exercise, uh, running raises their temperature. But, um, for example, uh, to uh, treat a fever, to treat an infection, a, a reptile will uh, sit in the sun and let its temperature produce uh, the, the fever that's needed to activate the immune system. Um, 
humans do that by uh, tightening up the uh, blood vessels in the skin and, and uh, reducing sweating. And uh, that uh, when we're producing a fever, we experience a chill. And uh, that, in, in the case of, of uh, reptiles, uh, they probably feel uh, uh, chilly uh, when they have an infection, and so they have to move into the sunlight so they feel uh, warm and they don't feel comfortable until they have a, a temperature, have a fever. And uh, when a person is experiencing chills, that means their temperature is rising uh, because they're um, producing um, uh, goosebumps, making the, the hairs on their skin stand up as the uh, skin gets pale, cutting off circulation. And uh, inside the body, the uh, uh, same uh, adrenaline system is activating uh, energy metabolism, uh, burning sugar faster or uh, fat in some cases, uh, producing heat faster and losing heat more slowly uh, to raise the heat. And uh, the opposite of that, uh, to lower your temperature, uh, you experience a, a heat surge. Uh, people very often uh, confuse the sensation with the actual temperature. So lots of people think they're really getting hotter when they experience a hot flush. Uh, but if you measure the temperature, the core temperature typically drops by close to one degree Fahrenheit uh, just in the minutes surrounding a hot flush. So does that mean when, us, when somebody's experiencing an infection and their body is um, alternating chills with um, sweating, that they're actually their body's trying to raise the body temperature in order to fight the infection, and then it gets too hot, and then the body's trying to lower it. So they actually are getting warmer when they feel cold and colder when they feel hot. Yes. The, um, the sensation that you experience is closely related to the uh, thermostat set point. Uh, no one knows exactly how that thermostat works, in an animal, but uh, the, the um, physical basis for it uh, seems to be the, the protein water fat system in the cell. Um, as the temperature rises, um, it needs to change its chemistry uh, to um, uh, maintain a, a steadiness. Uh, if to increase the set point, you stabilize this uh, cytoplasmic system mm. uh, so that it becomes a liquid, basically, at a higher temperature. And uh, if you liquefy the structure, it has to decrease the temperature to, to uh, achieve the normal amount of order. But um, that the, the details of it just aren't known, but it's equivalent to a mechanical thermostat. Huh. How, how quickly do you think this um, is possible to achieve this set point regulation throughout throughout the organism? 
Um, when you administer estrogen uh, to a person or an animal, uh, their temperature um, within uh, probably minutes, but usually it's measured with, on an hour scale. Uh, it's a very quick reaction uh, when the estrogen gets into the cells so that they're, they're being excited by it uh, to offset that excitation. Uh, the temperature uh, has to decrease. Uh, apparently, the, the sensation of being exposed to estrogen is is one of warmth, and that very sensation is what lowers our set points right, of the, right. drop the temperature. So in the menopause, when women are experiencing hot flashes, it's really down to an increased estrogen and a deficiency of progesterone that's causing them to feel hot, but their actual body temperature is dropping. So their their set point is at a lower temperature. Therefore, they sweat more easily at a lower temperature. Um, yeah, and the all the symptoms of menopause, including the hot sweats, uh, set in when progesterone fails to be produced. But the estrogen levels... Uh, in the serum even, uh, are pretty much the same uh, in women with and without hot flashes. It's, it's the absence of the anti-estrogen, uh, progesterone and androgens that uh, cause the symptoms and hot flashes. So why are we told by the medical community that it's really a deficiency of estrogen and you need to take estrogen to replace this deficient hormone when, in fact, it's a deficiency of progesterone? Um, there are more and more people realizing that. Just in the last few months, um, two different people have published on that subject that the evidence really is hmm. clearly on the side of the progesterone deficiency. But it started back in the 30s when the drug companies uh, wanted to sell, uh, at first, a synthetic estrogen product. Mm. And, uh, Is that DES? Um, yeah, that was the first one. And, yeah. and then they, they did have a, a synthetic uh, estradiol uh, that became one of the staples. Um, the ethanol estradiol was, I think they say, 17 times more powerful than natural estrogen, oh, and that was an early... Uh, product and to sell those uh, products successfully, uh, they had to create an ideology. Uh, progesterone was known to be the main ovarian hormone, and already in the 1930s they saw that uh, estrogen uh, was an anti-fertility, uh, abortion-producing hormone, where progesterone was the the real female hormone that made pregnancy possible. But just to market the product, uh, they created this whole ideology calling estrogen the female hormone and uh, saying that the ovaries fail. They simply run out of eggs uh, at a certain age. And when, when they run out of eggs, they don't produce estrogen and uh, the failure of estrogen is the loss of femaleness. And uh, so they said if you replace estrogen, 
uh, you can maintain pregnancy, uh, prevent miscarriage, and uh, prevent uh, the loss of, of feminine energy with, with aging. Mm-hmm. But uh, all of that was, was just an advertising right. campaign, but lots of doctors fell for it. Wow. And lots of poor women <coughs> suffered with deformed babies. Millions, yeah. Yeah. I know, I know you mentioned it in one of your newsletters saying that the uh, the history behind DES or uh, diethyl stilbestrol, I think it is, isn't it? Um, they when they pre- when they marketed it, they marketed it for the prevention of abortions, <laughs> and and then then it came out as the morning after contraception or the abortion pill. Um, yeah, um, the drug companies got a husband and wife team <laughs> connected with Harvard. Uh, and they lobbied the FDA to approve it for treating menopause. And so they, they created a legal and uh, public relations wow. environment uh, based on that completely false yeah. uh, idea that estrogen was the fertility hormone. And it takes such a long time for this kind of thing to come around. Uh, when research is coming out all the time to a point where people finally get it that actually it's completely wrong. Well, they, they stopped that trial <laughs> they were doing on hormone replacement therapy because women were having strokes and heart attacks and their bones were not becoming healthier. But, but now, back again, doctors are prescribing HRT to menopausal women. And all of those e- events, the heart attacks, uh, strokes, dementia, uh, breast cancer, and so on, all of that stuff was known uh, on the basis not only of animal studies going back 50 years, but even in human studies, they saw all of those things in very good studies. Yeah. Uh, it was just that the government uh, did such a big study that no one could easily deny it. But now they're they're running campaigns these last 10 years to uh, reverse the effects of that Women's Health Initiative study. Well, pharmaceutical reps are some of the best-paid sales men and women, and they are convincing doctors of a very unsafe practice, unfortunately, because they're such good salespeople. Okay, you're listening to uh, Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions related or unrelated to this month's subject of uh, night sweats, hot flashes, PMS uh, and ageing. Uh, and in relation to such things as serotonin and melatonin and 5-HT, it also ties in. So, Dr. Pete, the, um, the relationship then between the uh, serotonin and temperature regulation or aberrations in temperature and the mis- the misconception again about serotonin being good for you or 5-HT or melatonin being good for you which is completely bogus um, and would you would you just bring out the fact that the relationship then between the night sweats and uh, estrogen and serotonin and then we will uh, well you can when you talk about it you can obviously bring out those erroneous statements about melatonin and 5-HT being good for you and, and just let people know why or not why they're not good for you. Uh, Fifty years ago, a similar thing with the drug industry and government happened in relation to serotonin. Um, the um, disease uh, carcinoid, uh, an intestinal 
uh, tumor that produces serotonin uh, was being studied just when uh, serotonin was uh, discovered to be both a brain hormone but mostly an intestinal hormone. And uh, the um, drug industry uh, with um, psychoactive chemicals uh, wanted to, for, for various reasons that my newsletters talk about, uh, wanted to uh, create the idea that serotonin was uh, uh, the uh, hormone of bliss, they've called it, and uh, uh, that it was something to be raised to um, create well-being. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but still, the carcinoid study was identifying it as a, a stress-related hormone that caused flushing. Okay. Uh, one of the uh, basic signs of having that uh, intestinal disease was um, frequent flushing, uh-huh. as well as uh, psychiatric symptoms. And uh, one of the effects of serotonin is to activate uh, the stress hormones, uh, the cortisol system, and to activate aromatase, the enzyme that makes estrogen. But estrogen also uh, releases and activates uh, the production of serotonin. Uh, So it can become a a vicious circle of stress, uh, flushing, uh, uh, tissue breakdown under under the influence of, of cortisol and so on. And cortisol is a backup mechanism for survival when normal healthy metabolism fails to work. Cortisol is the um, stress hormone that keeps you alive, but under an unhealthy metabolism. Yeah, that's where the sugar metabolism comes in. Uh, The um, uh, estrogen's basic effect is to uh, shift metabolism away from sugar to uh, burning fat uh, as a a basic defense mechanism. Um, If you're starving and and starvation uh, turns on uh, flushing, among other things, uh, if you're starving, you don't want to eat up your uh, body tissues converting protein to glucose. And so uh, under stress, you have to turn your metabolism towards oxidizing fat. But at the same time, you turn off your thyroid, which is responsible for oxidizing sugar efficiently. So this keeps you alive through times of famine. Um, Yeah, it slows your metabolism down and makes you burn fat and spare your tissues by not turning protein to to sugar. Now, some um, listeners might think, oh, great, it makes me burn fat. That must be a good thing. Except that it slows your metabolism so much. That a little bit of fat burning doesn't account for much weight loss at all. It actually counts for probably weight gain. And and, uh, that uh, metabolism tends to, um, in most species, it it puts the animal into torpor or hibernation. And... uh, when an animal is um, getting ready to hibernate, it tends to uh, stock up its tissues with lots of polyunsaturated fats. 
and they found that they can bring on uh, torpor or hibernation by uh, either feeding them or injecting them with polyunsaturated fat. And if, if you give them sugar rather than unsaturated fat, you can keep them from going into torpor. And so this is a survival mechanism for animals in cold climates that they eat a lot of the um, polyunsaturated fat-rich foods so that they can slow their metabolism and survive a cold winter where there's not as much food supply. But you were telling us about the flamingos in Africa. Um, Yeah, um, Leslie Brown, a specialist in flamingos, uh, wrote a book in the 1950s, and he said that... uh, no one really has any idea how long they live, but he suspected that 130 would be a wow. good wow. estimate. But uh, they've seen that the annual mortality doesn't change with age. So that a 50-year-old animal is no more likely to die than a 3-year-old animal. So what's so different in this hot climate in Africa? Um, well, they, uh, they wade around in hot, salty water, eating algae that is living at this very, very warm water temperature. Uh, uh, And uh, the the flamingos live basically on on the blue-green algae, which at that high temperature, the the algae itself couldn't live if it made polyunsaturated fats (laughs) because they would oxidize immediately. So they make saturated fats. And most of the blue-green algaes that are available here are grown in cold climates, and so therefore the fats in the blue-green algaes are very unsaturated and unstable. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned also that uh, that part of Africa has a a high uh, CO2 concentration. Um, Yeah, some of their lakes uh, that the um, the, the flamingos wade in, Mm -hmm. uh, the water fields viscous, they say, (laughs) because of the high uh, sodium carbonate concentration. Uh, The carbon dioxide bubbles out of the volcanic rifts Mm -hmm. and uh, makes the the water both salty, alkaline, and very uh, rich in carbon dioxide. Would you you have any idea what percentage of CO2 might be present there? No. No. Um, I've I've heard that the, the air in some regions has a very high uh, concentration just seeping out of the volcanic rifts. I, it's just an aside here, but I wonder, do you, do you know what makes the flamingos pink? I'm sure that's a... Yeah, uh, that's, that's uh, some kind of algae. <laughs> Their food. So okay. we know that cold water fish have to have a polyunsaturated, uh, unsaturated essential, <laughs> essential fat in order to have their fat stay liquid at cold, cold temperatures. Yeah. But you were telling us about fish in the Amazon. Um, yeah, they've um, analyzed the fat in Amazon fish where probably the average temperature is something like 75 or 80, maybe 85 degrees, uh, varying with season and rainfall and so on, but very warm water. And their fish, their, their fat is similar to butter for saturation, yeah. about 90 Seven percent saturated. Wow! 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 Okay. Well, uh, 
Let's just, uh, actually, we've got a couple of callers here. So you're uh, listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMD Galville 91.1 FM and from 7.30, which is just about now, until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in uh, with questions either related or unrelated to hot flashes and night sweats. Uh, once again, we've got Dr. Raymond Pete on the line and uh, take, let's take the first caller. Hello, you're on the air? Hey, is this, is this live right now? There you go. Yeah, you're on the air. Yeah, that was really strange. I can't hear anybody on my telephone. Wow. Can you hear anybody now? And I'm getting this weird delay. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're yeah. up in Eureka, then there is an eight-second delay. No, I'm in Albion, uh, Mendocino oh. County. Mm. I don't know. And I do apologize when callers call the... Me talking to you on the phone is very, very quiet, so I'm actually shouting when I talk to you and on the I phone. And I can't hear the person that's trying to talk with me. Okay. But I have a question for the, you were talking about um, something about night sweats and, and estrogen and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Okay. Now, I have a friend. He's a male kind of guy. And he has, uh, he gets like anxiety attacks and he gets night sweats, mm-hmm. uh, mostly right in the morning just before he wakes up. And I, I was just kind of curious about what would be that or how could that relate to, say, estrogen or testosterone or whatever. Um, I kind of just tuned in, but I'm getting this weird delay, so it's like, it's delay, delay, delay. <laughs> it's like, hello. Well, I'm and sorry. I can't hear anybody who's trying to talk with me, so I'm just going to hang up and maybe get your answer if you have one, and I'll listen. Okay. Thank, thank you me. much. Thank you. Dr. When, Pete, did you hear that? When a man is under severe stress, which can be infection or trauma or starvation, uh, his estrogen multiplies and, and becomes a, equivalent to a woman's estrogen. And uh, any time you're under stress and you're likely to waste your stored glucose and have uh, fluctuating episodes of hypoglycemia, and that triggers uh, several things, but especially the release of cortisol, which breaks down your tissue and turns it to sugar. And so when when your stress is very high, um, usually at the end of the night, your cortisol is at its highest for the day. And when you're uh, stressed by um, anything uh, metabolic uh, or an infection, for example, your cortisol can go extremely high as well as the estrogen. And uh, that... Uh, brings your blood sugar up uh, and bringing the blood sugar up lowers the um, adrenaline system, letting your skin uh, produce uh, sweat and and become pink and hot. So the, the actual sweating and sense of heat goes with very high cortisol, which normally is is the highest around dawn. So really, the, this gentleman is, is experiencing a stress during the night due to dropping blood sugar levels, and perhaps if he woke himself up maybe around 2 or 3 and had a glass of orange juice, 
maybe with a little salt dissolved in it, that might help to lower his stress and keep his blood sugar up? Um, yeah, lots of people do that. Um, I've, I've known fat people who um, had a nightmare every uh, 30 to 60 minutes during the night. And if they would wake themselves up after uh, less time than was enough to cause the nightmare and had a glass of orange juice or milk, uh, they could lengthen the time between their nightmares in just three or four nights uh, by, by catching it in time using an alarm clock. And in just a week or so of, of preventing those uh, surges of, of night sweats or nightmares, um, you can uh, get your liver stocked up with enough glucose uh, that you can sleep usually through the whole night. So it's really just a failure of uh, glucose storage and people don't get enough sugars and we know we've spoken at length and we'll keep on about the need for fructose fruit sugars specifically um, if people consume enough fruit sugars each day um, the glycogen stores can get replenished in the liver and during the night when typically we're fasting there's enough stored sugar to enable the person to get through the night without getting into that anxiety state using adrenaline as a uh, next next worst thing to uh, keep things going and another another thing is that when somebody is stressed uh, under physical or mental stress they'll use up their sugar stores much quicker and a lot of times when people are under stress they don't tend to eat properly and they actually can tend to eat less and then that just creates a very very vicious cycle of stress hormones raising blood sugar by breaking down fat and that whole backup metabolism that can lead to cancer all sorts of destructive problems yeah, it lowers uh, thyroid and progesterone which are the basic energy producing protective hormones and in the absence of those then you have to increase the uh, uh, acute uh, emergency hormones serotonin estrogen and the various inflammatory things and in just the last uh, five or six years there have been several studies showing that uh, hot flashes, menopausal hot flashes, can be prevented just with sugar. Wow. A big dose of, of carbohydrate at bedtime will uh, work better than estrogen. <laughs> and that's just because it's replenishing the liver's store so that liver doesn't have to rely on those stress hormones to get some sugar. Yeah, and the, the mechanism by which estrogen does have some uh, effect in, in reducing hot flashes, it's a very unphysiological effect. Mm -hmm. um, when morphine withdrawal is, is being used as a model of hot flashes, uh, they find that old animals uh, can have such a low metabolism that they don't experience the, uh, the hot flash. They can simply be already in the hibernating state and don't have the surges that cause the hot flushes. And estrogen lowers the metabolism, and apparently it, it can put a person into a, uh, so close to the uh, hibernation state that they don't have the surges uh, raising their metabolism enough to produce heat to cause the flush. But another effect is that these high doses of estrogen block the sweating uh, mechanisms 
in animal studies, uh, if you look at the actual details, they were stopping the hot flushes, but using a dose of estrogen 2,000 times the physiological amount. And in some of the uh, studies of humans showing that estrogen can stop the, the sweating and flushing, they were using 30 times the physiological uh, amount of estrogen to, for a young woman, but giving it to menopausal women. And that's why so many women who take HRT have tend to put on a lot of weight because they're lowering their metabolism so much with all that high dose of estrogen. But we do have a couple callers on the line. Okay, you're on the air. Next caller, you're on the air. Next caller was on the air. I think she was waiting a while. Oh, caller, okay. here's your chance. Uh, if you're up in Eureka, there's an eight-second time delay, so you better hurry. Okay, well, here's our next caller. Hey, the next caller, you're there. Hello. Can you hear me? I, I yeah. can. Okay, there we go. All right, and uh, I'm listening on my radio, so I can hear also through that. And I'm, by the way, just for technical purposes. I'm near Fort Bragg, this is just right on the Mendocino coast, and it's a very slight delay, almost a, about the level of an echo um, from the difference between the radio and the phone. So okay. uh, I, I can hear you quite well here just for tech purposes. Now, my question is, I believe, related to this. However, it's probably a whole other show, but if you could just address this. And I'll put it under the headline of, be careful what kind of juicing you do, and it's not a milkshake, it's a milky shake. Now, this goes to the San Francisco Giants, Milky Cabrera, and the aspect of what steroids or juicing that they do, that's what they call it, even though it's not the juice you were talking about earlier, that these are often related to uh, female hormones, and they actually will take female hormones to uh, basically mask the fact that they have been taking these steroids. So the question goes kind of to the entirety of the spectrum. What does that do to their corticosteroids, what does it do to the cortisone and the cortisol? And really, you know, when they get better as they get older, which doesn't make sense, as in the case of the milky shake man here, the uh, question goes to how much does this stress their older body and shorten their life? And I, you know, appreciate if you don't get into a whole lot of detail on that, maybe address that entire subject in another program, but if you could touch on it, it would certainly be appreciated, especially with the idea that they use female hormones to mask those uh, steroids and maybe why they do that. Thanks, as always, for this great program. Thank you for your call. Dr. Pete, could you hear that caller's an yep. uh, question? I don't know what milky shakes are. Uh, I'm not sure what they are either, but perhaps... Um... Oh, milky shakes yeah, okay. would be related to the man's name, Melky Cabrera. Okay. Uh, M-E-L-K-Y, and they play on the milkman and, and you know, just I was trying to be funny but right. it didn't work Sorry. okay Sorry. so what you're saying is that they they take female hormones to mask the fact that they're taking corticosteroids yes in fact it was a, on record that the way they found out that manny ramirez formerly of the la dodgers and currently of the oakland athletics at least last time i checked maybe uh he uh was using that and got suspended for 50 games when he was with the dodgers a couple of years ago as milky cabrera just got uh, taken down for 50 games from the Giants. And if you don't have the answer, Dr. Pete, I don't know if you follow sports at all, but I know this is kind of a, a medical question that a lot of people you know, are interested in. 
if you can't answer it tonight, I, I look forward to a future program on it maybe. Thank you for your call. Dr. Peek, do you understand the question now? Um, yeah, but I don't know anything about that <laughs> fake. Okay, but I think what he's saying is that these um, athletes are taking female hormones in order to mask the fact that they're taking corticosteroids to cope with the athletic um, performance. Well, progesterone uh, will cover up and uh, uh, protect against uh, many of the toxic steroids. Uh, pregnenolone and progesterone uh, protect against uh, several toxic steroids. But, I mean, why would athletes take the steroids then to begin with if they take progesterone just to mask it? Um, I'm not sure what the hormone was they were taking, but... Uh, I think just corticosteroids, cortisone. Um, but I don't know why an athlete would take uh, the cortico... Uh, Maybe after a, after a game, is it anti-inflammatory? I'm not sure. I'm sorry. Our knowledge is not too great in this area of sport. I think they're taking Abuse. them as performance enhancers. Well, then they're maybe taking more like testosterone or other. Okay. I guess until we get clarification, let's just take the next caller. Hi, you're on the air? Hello. Hi. Do we have an eight-second delay or are you, uh, you hearing everything on time? I don't know. I'm hearing you right now. <laughs> Good. Okay. What's your question? Uh, what do I tell my doctor when they want to put me on uh, statins for having high cholesterol? Uh, tell him not to. Dr. P. Um, I, I could send you a, a lot of uh, research reports on that, but uh, basically uh, you have to remember that, that they don't just inhibit uh, cholesterol. They inhibit uh, a whole system of related uh, chemicals in the body and uh, impair energy production and uh, have not only the uh, the risk of muscle damage but um, also uh, toxic effects on the brain and liver. Tell them you'd like to try a, um, a supplement of thyroid first and to get your cholesterol down that way. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I like animal fats too. Good. Well, good. That um, that does not raise that good not animal fats. Saturated no. animal fats do not raise cholesterol. Yes, uh, yeah, I've been listening to you, to you guys talk about that for a long time. Great. Avoid pork and chicken and turkey and duck fat. Okay, so grass-fed beef is probably the best, huh? Yes. And lamb. And lamb. Okay, great. Thank you. And make sure make sure your thyroid's working. So yeah, uh, get them, your doctor to do a test and take your temperature, and if it's Below 98.6, you could have a thyroid problem and ask your doctor for a supplement. Okay. Uh, so we had a caller who called to say that the sports players are taking testosterone and someone else calling to say that they're andestrogens. And androgens. 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 Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we have two more callers. Okay, let's take the next caller. I'm actually standing in for the next caller. Oh, okay. Uh, could you please comment on bisphenol A and its use in plastics and its estrogen-mimicking characteristics and how that might affect the whole estrogen milieu. Yeah, it's um, disastrous in early in life, uh, prenatal or infancy exposure. It shapes the whole development of the organism. And uh, an adult is less sensitive to it, but it, it still is, is very toxic uh, as a, a strong estrogen uh, leading to 
all of these degenerative inflammatory effects. So what's the, what do you think is the biggest causative um, factor in, that's increasing bisphenol A in our dietary? Oh, I currently don't know. Uh, they've used it in a lot of food packaging uh, things, but um, now it, it's getting into um, water supply even. So you mean like water bottles and plastics and things that food is put in? Um, yeah, and even into some municipal water supplies, uh, recycling. Recycling the water? Uh, no, getting getting into um, groundwater yeah. and, and being pumped into uh, water supply systems. Okay. And does bisphenol A cross the placental barrier to the fetus? Oh, yeah. Okay, we have another caller, so let's take this next caller. Actually, they dropped. I'm oh. sorry. They okay, took no a while. Or maybe I dropped them by accident. <laughs> okay. but, uh, so call right. back Colleague, if you want. lines wanna. are open. Yeah, call back in. Okay, so Dr. Raymond Peets uh, joining us tonight on the show, um, and he's explaining the mechanisms for hot flashes and night sweats. Um, the number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, the 800 number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So you're listening to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson-Murray. Okay, Dr. Pete, let's just get back to um, what you mentioned about the temperatures uh, for fish. Just just mentioning that the fish uh, were consuming microorganisms in the water that was too warm normally and that their fat was saturated a lot more than uh, you'd normally find in fish and that this was actually a beneficial thing for the fish um, in terms of uh, not having them to uh, have a polyunsaturated uh, oil in their bodies because they didn't need that cold protection. Yep. There were even studies in salmon who normally are cold water fish mm -hmm. with very highly unsaturated fats, but they fed them uh, diets less polyunsaturated and found that in some of their endurance tests, <laughs> they had better performance than the ones on the pure uh, algae, cold water, uh, highly unsaturated fats. Yeah. So even though they they talk about eating cold water fish as being good for people, <laughs> even fish don't do so well. And they would do better if they ate blue-green algae that was high in saturated fats because it grew in warm waters. Uh, yeah, the, it, it couldn't be... Uh, too too saturated if they went back to the cold ocean because they would harden like a cube of butter. <laughs> okay, I think we've got that other caller. Salmon back, butter. So. Maybe you could um, create a new product called salmon butter and encapsulate that and sell that to people. Okay, I think there's another caller on the line, so let's see if the engineer's captured that caller or he's got out of the net. <laughs> You're on the air? Well, can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. I can hear you well. Oh, good. Uh, briefly... I went through a similar experience as the earlier caller who was talking about his physician, presumably a physician, wanting to get him on statin drugs. Right. I had that same conversation with my physician, and I told her that I would prefer to see if I couldn't figure out some way, any way, to avoid taking the statin drugs. Right. And uh, she said, well... Okay, there's no tremendous rush. She said, you're 
cholesterol is trending high. Your blood pressure is trending high, but you're not there yet. It's borderline. Mm-hmm. So give it a go and get back to me in three months, and we'll see how you're doing. So I didn't have a clue what to do, but I knew that I didn't want to take statin drugs. So I got into a bunch of diet books and, in a nutshell, stayed away from greasy, fatty foods, salt, sugar, and got into load-bearing exercise. And in three weeks, not three months, three weeks, I turned it around. That's been about eight years ago. I realized that I'm not prescribing for anyone else. I was lucky, I think. But I thought you might have some comments to make on that, and I'll get off the line and listen to you. Thank you very much for this program. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for your call. I know, Dr. Pete, you won't have have too many good things to say about not consuming sugar. But I think the biggest change that was made was not eating greasy foods because uh, America eats too much greasy food that's all fried in those toxic polyunsaturated fatty acids. And that probably made the biggest difference. Wouldn't you agree, Dr. Pete? Um, yeah, the way it works is that the polyunsaturated fat blocks your thyroid at all levels of function. And in the 1930s, people who knew that removing the thyroid gland caused an immediate rise in cholesterol, uh, they gave these people a supplement of thyroid and found just as an immediate uh, decrease in cholesterol. So it's a mirror image. Your, your thyroid function and metabolic rate going up, your cholesterol goes down. And I've seen two people who had cholesterol of uh, 450 or 500 milligrams percent get down to normal in just a week by a very, very intense uh, supplementation with fast-acting thyroid. Excellent, excellent. Okay, let's carry on uh, about the sweats because that is, after all, this uh, this month's topic, and I know that you've, uh, you've you've done a fair bit of research on it in the very recent times. Let's just um, go on to night sweats. Now, I've always I've always understood, even from university, that night sweats were indicative of disease and it wasn't good. Now, what do you think about night sweats in the uh, in the way that you understand temperature regulation now? Because it's probably very different from what we were taught. Um, I, I think it's the same thing. The, um, the body needs to be hot, but uh, the night signal is to um, cool off the metabolism to uh, permit sleep. And um, you have to mobilize the nervous system in a different way, shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And parasympathetic activation makes you sweat and uh, uh, getting your blood sugar up is the other thing that uh, shifts you away from the sympathetic dominance and uh, the various things during the night um, trigger those nervous changes Uh, just lying down tends to shift you towards the the parasympathetic uh, dominance uh, making you, you sweat more easily, Uh, but then prolonged darkness increases the production of cortisol, which um, raises your blood sugar and uh, shifts you again away from sympathetic to parasympathetic. So it's a combination of of darkness, uh, the day cycle, uh, 
the um, whatever the stress is, lowering your blood sugar, and then the compensating cortisol, raising your blood sugar. So what are some things that we can do to fix this? I mean, we've talked about avoiding polyunsaturated fats and eating saturated fats in their place, so that means avoiding meat fat that's from pork, chicken, turkey, duck. Uh, one of the things that happens at night is that this shift of the uh, nervous system uh, tends to slow the digestive process and uh, it can allow uh, bacteria to uh, become more toxin-producing during the night. And uh, keeping your intestine clean during the night as far as possible and eating a carrot in the afternoon, for example, to stimulate the intestine and uh, suppress some of the bacterial growth. A raw grated carrot. Yeah. Okay, there's one more caller on there, so let's see if we can uh, take this next caller. You're on? Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm calling about your couple questions on there. What you t- you're talking about the, the, the being low-fat uh, with, the, with the meat, uh, or are you saying the beef is the best kind of low cholesterol? Is that, is that, is that what I heard you say? Well, yes, I was um, saying to avoid the fats from the pig, chicken, turkey, duck, and instead, if you're going to eat meat, get the fat from beef and lamb, the saturated fat, because it's a myth that it's the... Um, bad fat because really it's the most natural fat and it's only just because those other animals are fed corn and soy which are a bad fat is, is there is there a difference between uh, the, uh, the the kind of kind of fats in beef or is it just a, whatever kind of beef you eat uh, you know whether it's a hot dog or it's a filet mignon it's well, all the same grass-fed beef is of course ideal uh, ideal for what reason if the, the grass has a high content of vitamin E, and vitamin E is used primarily in, in the beef animals to destroy the polyunsaturated fats. I see. And, and so the, the more vitamin E in the diet, the lower the polyunsaturated fat content of the beef will be. Well, one of the things that I, I notice when I'm shopping, I look at the grass-fed beef or the organic beef, and I noticed it has a higher fat content than uh, does the you know than it does the the leanest meat that you get that's just maybe more uh, more you know standardized uh, production. It's the ratio of saturated fat to unsaturated that is most important. So a grass, I mean a grain-fed cut of beef will have more polyunsaturated oils. Is that what you're suggesting, Doctor B, or just less vitamin E? Yeah, less vitamin E. And more of the unsaturated fats, uh, but it's mostly the low vitamin E that lets the oil survive the rumen and get into the tissues. Uh, so it's, it's the uh, high percentage of polyunsaturated fat that is is the danger, uh, not the quantity of it, because you have lots and lots of perfectly saturated fat. That makes it relatively safe, like normal beef is 98% saturated and, and about 2% polyunsaturated. So I, I, I'm, I, too, am having a little trouble hearing you, but but I, but I guess the bottom line is which ones would, would, would I want to eat for my health or 
would be the lower fat one that's commercial or the or the grass fed. The grass fed. The grass fed. Okay. Yeah. And the other question is kind of different. It's a uh, do you do you know any kind of relationship between any of these uh, health matters and and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, there there's uh, Epstein Barr and Lyme's disease found a lot around these parts and uh, you know anything about uh, how that relates to metabolism system or something like that well you know what we're running out of time we only have four minutes left and we need to wrap up but maybe you can call in with next friday the third friday of september third friday of september well i'll put that on my calendar okay thank you for your call thank Thank you you. thank you for listening okay so i want to make sure to cover some things that we can recommend for people to help decrease hot flashes whether you're a male or a female and um, dr pete you were mentioning um sugar uh, carbohydrates in general, but especially fruit. Um, gelatin is the protein that's best because it doesn't make any serotonin. And uh, salty foods help to um, stabilize your blood sugar and lower the stress systems. And there's also some herbs that can help to work on these um, different systems. Nettle root blocks the aromatase enzyme that increases estrogen vitex blocks prolactin which increases estrogen um yeah aspirin blocks aspirin and caffeine aspirin and caffeine there you go aspirin blocks aromatase and caffeine Uh, stimulates progesterone production production. there you go okay and then lobelia i think was one of the other ones that was the uh, indian tobacco um that also has an effect because you were um describing the nicotinic receptors as having an effect on blocking the sweat yeah, you mentioned nicotine patches. To uh, that, that's been the latest FDA is it FDA approved. Uh, well, a, a study is being done okay. right now. Uh, I don't know who funded it, but uh, it's plausible that it would, um, since it lowers aromatase and lowers estrogen, it might protect against some of the uh, symptoms of hot flashes and such. Mm-hmm. And Nick, um, lobelia occupies the nicotinic receptor, and it's not. Nicotine, it's lobeline. Lobeline, isolobeline. And it's also effective for helping people stop smoking. Okay, well, let's give out Dr. Pete's information so that people that have listened to him can uh, take some more action and get on the Internet and uh, maybe email him or read his articles, find out more about him. So, Dr. Pete, thanks so much for taking your time out to uh, share your knowledge with people this evening. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much. Okay, so for people that have uh, heard the show, uh, Dr. Raymond Pete's website is www. Ray Pete, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T dot com. And he has lots of scholarly articles, uh, probably 50 or so, fully referenced articles on many different subjects. Uh, mostly his interests are around polyunsaturated versus saturated fats, uh, aging, uh, how to prevent early aging, and uh, hormones, so progesterone, estrogen, etc. Um, so you're... <laughs> I'm not going to go through that again, no. Um, what do you want to say, Sarah? Um, that all of Dr. Pete's articles are free for those who can get on the web. Okay, so until the third Friday of next month, have a great night. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Thank you for listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor. Thank you.
Support for KMUD comes in part from listeners like you and from Earth Gallery and Custom Framing, offering conservation picture framing for art, photography, and just about anything that can be framed. Their workshop can handle production runs to one-off custom frames. They sell handmade wool rugs and and house several artist studios and will be featuring Jesse Allen printed works in the main gallery this summer. Earth Gallery is on Facebook, located at... 436 Maple Lane in Garberville and can be reached at 923-1121. Support also comes for KMUD comes from the Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive. 